Welcome to SG350's New Energy Podcast. My name is Sebastian Fay, he, him pronouns, and I will be speaking to Rachel Hamilton today, who is San Diego 350's Justice and Equity Intern. And so Rachel, I'll just give a brief background. You uh, are focused on researching and developing anti-racist strategies to further curate SG350's strive to implement social and racial equity throughout the organization's policies and volunteer efforts. Before we jump in today, I would like to do a land acknowledgement as, as I always do. Um, so for those of us who are in San Diego County, we are zooming in on Kumeyaay land. They are people whose traditional lifeways intertwine with a worldview of earth and sky in a community of living beings. This land is part of a relationship that has nourished, healed, protected, and embraced the Kumeyaay people to the present day. It is part of a worldview founded in the harmony of the cycles of the sky and balance in the forces of life. It is important for us to pay our respects for the past, present, and future generations of Kumeyaay people. Thank you for taking the time for that. Now, I just want to get, I know I said what your current role is, Rachel, but I just want for the rest of the audience to kind of understand a little bit about your story um, and, and just kind of go from there. So let's hear. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here today, Sebastian. I'm really excited um, to just share a little bit about myself and the work that I'm doing with the JEDI team here at San Diego 350. Um, so I'm a 20-year-old college student. Um, I started my work with climate justice um, around the summer of 2000, I think it was 19. Um, when I graduated high school, I did a youth climate strike here in San Diego. Um, so from that moment, I just started doing work with San Diego 350 and kind of just getting to know um, the environmental movement. Um, I have a large, not large, but a long history in racial justice work um, during high school, middle school, when I was um, in Ohio, because I moved out there, um, out from Ohio to here about three years ago, going on four, I think. Um, I was doing a lot of racial justice work. I did a lot of things centered around like Black Lives Matter, movement for uh, Black Lives. So when I came out to San Diego, I didn't have that much of an understanding of um, climate work, but I did have lived experience of environmental injustice, environmental racism. So I was really interested in, in understanding how racial justice, climate justice come together and um, create this, this sphere of work that we're doing with JEDI. Um, yeah, so I originally started there with the youth climate strike in about the summer of 20, 2019. And since then I started working with the JEDI team and I was helping um, just create things out of like, like the syllabus of, to kind of think of like what Jedi values and principles would we even want to um, talk about if we became a team, you know? And from there, I ended up uh, getting the position to be the justice and equity intern, which was really, really cool. Um, so I've been doing that since June, 2020, and I'm still in this role. Um, and it's, it's a great time. So now I just kind of, my team, um, we do our work. I also work with 350.org as the Jedi uh, coordinator for the National Jedi Group. So that's really cool. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like a long okay. blurb. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fantastic. I just want to say uh, for anybody who's new to this concept Jedi, we need to explain that. So justice, yeah. equity, diversity, and inclusivity. That's yeah. Jedi. And we're going to be talking about a lot. So people need to get used to that. Yeah. Second thank thing, you. <laughs> second thing is where are you going to college right now? I'm not aware of that. That's yeah, cool. I'm going. I'm going to college in Chula Vista. It's a community college, Southwestern College. Um, yeah, on my like second year, I think. Okay, nice. And then I mm -hmm. would also say that if you've been doing something since middle school, that is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
mean, yeah. don't, don't discount that too much. I mean, some people have shorter careers than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think especially as a, as a black kid in Ohio in a majority yeah. white area, you don't think that you're doing work right. until you're out of that and you're like, oh, I'm doing work that like adult organizers have been, have been doing for years, you know? Right. Um, so I've just now started recognizing that as work. You know, I was right. doing labor. <laughs> so. Right, right. Sometimes you see it in hindsight and it's, it looks different than, than it was in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I want to discuss the, the journey, you know, the, that you've taken the Jedi team on so far. And, and you know, let's get into like what we've done and, and where, where they're headed. Yeah. Um, so I believe in, Sebastian, you were with us from the beginning of the Jedi team, right? Yeah, I, I joined when it yeah. started. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So, so we started the Jedi team in about, I'd say, June uh, 2020. June, July, yeah. Yeah, June, July. But before that, months before that, um, there was like an unofficial team going on. And I don't even think we have the same amount of members or the same members. So we were doing a lot of like, what ifs? Like, what if we had a Jedi team, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was really cool when I came into the position to have that knowledge of um, all the people who were here beforehand, um, thinking about what the Jedi team would look like having that knowledge when I actually was tasked to implement and create a Jedi team. Um, so we started in, I think, June, July with about seven members. And it was just people who were interested in doing Jedi work, you know, who wanted to see more racial justice work happening in the org, um, especially with um, all of the things that were happening with like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maud Aubrey, just Black Lives Matter. Like, it was just a lot last summer. So a lot of people felt activated to make sure that our work is inclusive and yeah. represents racial justice as well. Um, so that's where we started. So our Jedi team, our first goal was to start an anti-racism series of trainings. Mm -hmm. So right. um, yeah, we created the first training in, in collaboration with Showing Up for Racial Justice. That's another um, white led org in San Diego. And they're really awesome because they understand that racial justice should be done by white members of the, of the San Diego community. So they're really big on like talking about white fragility, uh, white supremacy, things of that nature. So we yeah. worked with them to do that first one. And then right after that, um, I say about October, the Jedi team that's here now, actually Sebastian and I both worked on this. We did our first like team training, which yeah. was really, really cool. Um, Sebastian did some great pieces on um, white supremacy. I didn't know if you wanted to go into your work with that second training. Yeah, a little bit. I just want to say, you know, sir, uh, Showing Up for Racial Justice is also known as Surge, you know, national organization. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, uh, they've been, you know, very trying to convert white people, you know, who are racist <laughs> to become anti-racist yeah. is, their, is their goal. And I, I mean, it's something that, you know, I, I learned about also pretty much the summer of 2020. And um and yeah they they have some great people there that are and they're doing you know good work for sure but um i felt like yeah obviously we had to you know as, as an organization we had to take what they gave us and and what we've learned on our own and kind of bring it to sd350 on our as like our own our own teachings and so you know how we broke down that first training um was like the, the layers of racism in, in terms of starting at the highest level which is you know, kind of structural, kind of the overall hierarchy of our society and, and, and going all the way down to kind of the interpersonal and, and the, the interactions between people. So my, yeah. my focus was on, on the structural and, and kind of the, the overarching, you know, systemic uh, is what we called it, racism in a sense. So, you know, housing, how, how redlining, you know, to me that, that sticks out as like one of the most important um, 
and most devastating impacts that was essentially started in 1933 with the Green New Deal. I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. we, the New Deal, the, yeah, the original the one. The 19, yeah. yeah, so basically the, the, the short of it is, uh, which I still find just shocking to this day, was basically the West and a lot of the U.S. wasn't segregated. Obviously, the South basically was. And the, the federal government, you know, in a sense, instituted a form of that with this redlining where they said certain neighborhoods are predominantly, you know, people of color and we're going to not give them loans. We're going to redline them. It means putting them into red districts, whereas, you know, all the, the wealthiest and the whitest districts, they're the safest bets. So therefore, we yeah. will give them loans. Right now, those are, you know, those are very clear, like La Jolla, Point Loma, mm-hmm. Mission Hills, um, yeah. you know, a few of, you know, any, anything with a view, basically, is, yeah. is, is in there. Um, and then there's a few surprises in terms of, over time, you know, places like Little Italy was redlined. And then turns out, you know, because of its proximity to downtown and because of, you know, just the demand for housing here, it's become, you know, heavily popular, high, high density, you know, you get all these great restaurants, it becomes, you know, the low cost plus the high demand, you know, you get some, you get some like pretty nice stuff. And now, I mean, it's yeah. a very nice neighborhood. It's really hard to get a cheap, cheap rental there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I talk about that. We talk about like, you know, hospitals, like healthcare. We talked about education, obviously, like mm-hmm. these big systematic, systemic institutions and, and how that kind of whittles down. So yeah, do you want to talk about like your section or anything else that you yeah. specifically? Yeah. Um, and I, I just wanted to jump off of your point of the redlining and the importance of that, especially. Um, and going back to my experience in Ohio, I, I feel like a lot of individuals out here who talk about climate justice, environmental racism, don't have that that exact like black and white understanding of, of redlining and when it looks so, um, like it truly contrasts. Because um, I feel like out here, it is, it's obviously here, it, it's in San Diego but it's not as like white picket fence versus a different neighborhood as it is back in the, in the, in the Midwest or on the East coast, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that you did that section. And then even you name dropping all the places in San Diego um, so that people can understand that it, it racism changes its forms depending on where you're at. It's not going to look the same everywhere. Um, yeah. So that was, that was awesome. You did just as great as you did during the training uh, explaining that. Um, yeah. So we, we talked a lot about, like redlining, residential segregation. Um, I know I ended up talking about, um, we talked about microaggressions. Yeah. We talked about anti-racism in general. Um, something that I thought was really interesting that we spoke on was the good, bad binary and understanding yeah. that you're not a good person or a bad person or, you know what I mean? Like just thinking of like right. racism isn't black and white or being exuding a racist behavior is not black and white exuding a racist behavior doesn't make you bad and not exuding what doesn't make you a good person it just it's really it's a spectrum um and it's a you have to actively continue to be anti-racist you can't just be like oh i'm i'm not you know and then that's it um so we we really talked about that um well even even diving diving more in this good bad binary it's like it's polarization right you know Mm -hmm. our whole american society they want you to go on one side or the other right blue or red or you know are you are you for you know one side or the mm-hmm. other on this and um one thing i really like I've, i just found this it's actually a, a, a lyric but basically like there is no winnable war you know <laughs> once you choose sides once you start dividing people up like 
it just ends up, con you know, you're creating conflict, right? And and that's what mm. that's what the people in power want us to be doing, right? Like to mm. be fighting over each other, fighting over like what wh what's right, what's wrong, you know? When really like there's there's deeper things at play here, right? Like that's yeah, like that's, yeah, it's just like it's it's really hard to bring again, like even the housing and redlining, like it's really hard to be an activist to like fight that. I mean, how do you do that? There's houses, you know, you can't can't tear mm -hmm. up neighborhoods you you can't you can't rewrite the zoning laws like that, that's you know people will, will laugh at you if you say you want to try to do that but it's like it really i think that really is you know the challenge for this next decade is figuring out like how do you even you know you know push slowly these kind mm -hmm. of things in in ways in positive ways because i mean even I want to say one more point about this because I think it's I heard this recently it was one of our we had a couple um, speakers that, that talked to the SU350 in the past year and um, they said you know front lawns in essence you know like they uh, houses you know in these neighborhoods had to have front lawns you know and mm. and in order to and, and when you have a front lawn that's space that's literally wasted first of all it's for grass that you know isn't good right it's, it's not yeah. not the right plants it doesn't you know it's not native use a lot of mm -hmm. water a lot of care but also it minimizes the housing space right so you can have less dense houses you know they they, they basically are enforcing this single family home thing when mm -hmm. you know that's not how some family you know some families want to be sometimes you have you know let's say you go down to mexico right they have multi-generational houses where yeah. they can even add on on top of their house, say when like their kid grows up and, you know, mm -hmm. or add a granny flat or kind of thing, you know, they're just starting to open up to this idea of granny flats and expanding housing for people. Yeah. Um, or, or even just like sub, so to me, the biggest thing is subdividing plots. So like currently I live, like there, I live in a four unit place. So it's one property mm -hmm. and you have split subdivided into four units. Yeah. And, you know, just even giving that option to people when they're building a house would be, would mm -hmm. be enormous. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even with that, I like if you come down to the South Bay and Chula Vista where I'm at, it's intergenerational as well. You know, and a lot of us can't afford to even have a house like most of us are in apartments of some kind. Sure, sure. Um, so, and yeah, housing renting. is just yeah, renting. we're all we're all renting. Um, so it's just it's it's very unfortunate how housing continues to be such a like a a pillar in, in white supremacy and racism and environmental racism like it, that is one of the most strenuous things of of people's livelihood in general especially out here when we're so populated so I'm glad that you brought that up um, yeah, yeah definitely yeah so I'm sorry I know we we went on a whole rant um, <laughs> but thinking of yeah so we did that we did that second training and that's where yeah. all that uh, that wonderful um conversation Framing. just came from yeah but so we did the second training in october and then we did a third training which we kind of tailored that to our actual um like audience here at san diego 350 so this training was mainly for um like team leads or, or members who are very very involved um mm -hmm. so that we could just focus on what do you need to learn what do you want to gain from this this training so we did a conversation on calling in and calling out um and how to deal with um, being, uh, being asked to, to change behaviors or, or what, if you need someone else to change a behavior that is harmful, um, how can we, how can we do that and still have, um, this culture of good naturedness, of friendliness and, um, just encouraging each other to grow and, and be in tune with one another. So that was a big section. Um, we can also we talked just, about, just oh, yeah. that, cause like, I want to break yeah. that. Cause to me, that was really educational. I want to break that down mm -hmm. for people of like, 
what is calling in, what is calling out, because, you know, I'll, I'll give my little, I'll give what I think about it, and then you tell me what you, what you, so just in yeah. summary, really quickly, calling in is like, let's say you have a friend who says something, and it's, it's not the place where you want to stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, stop that, like, like, cut it out, like, and like, let's say it was like, more, I, I don't know, it's hard, hard to say, but like, it wasn't serious enough, and it didn't need to be stopped right now, it's more like, hey, that was, a, that was uncool, like, you need to kind of change your attitude about this, and, it, and you feel like you wouldn't be able to change them by calling it out, out and shaming them right there, so you call mm -hmm. in, you kind of like, explain to them, and, and try to change their behavior that way, whereas calling out, as I mentioned, is really about, you know, saying stop right there, like, hey, this is like, you are over the, you kind of stepped over the line at this moment. And, um, you know, like, and, and there actually should be some, a little public shaming there to, in order to rectify the situation, you know, make the other person who's being, you know, um, being talked down to or, or be, being belittled to, to kind of feel like people have their back or, or, or people are supporting them, you know? And I think that that's where it kind of comes down to me. And um, yeah, I just want to get your take on that. Cause I think it's, yeah. it's such a, good tool it's a really good tool honestly yeah definitely and I think the conversation of calling in and calling out and what one is changes from perspective um, and lived experience so for me I definitely like to frame it around accountability um, mm -hmm. rather than shaming and that's not not like a anti-shaming like rhetoric kind of thing it's just my my personal way of sure. framing it so when I think of calling in I thinking of does this person need to show accountability immediately or can it wait until we're outside of this situation? Right. Um, yeah. Cause I, I've, and I think that changes over time. Um, and I think calling in definitely happens when you're, it's someone that you care about or someone that you're close with, that you have a relationship with that you feel comfortable um, calling in um, separate from a situation. And most likely in that time, it's not something where the person who was being aggressed is being harmed like immediately or, or it's not um, like a physical harm, verbal harm, you know, like they're not getting abused and some, and some like verbally attacked in some type of way. So I think those are the best times to kind of call in for sure. When it's just like something that's problematic where it's like, Hey, let's, can we not, can we not do this in the future? It's not cool. Um, yeah. But for calling out, I definitely, um, and I've learned over time how to call out um, as needed. Cause I, I used to be a kid that was definitely like, like, Oh, absolutely not. You know, immediately. Right, right. And, oh, and sometimes, oh. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I didn't think about the victim themselves because I know for me, I want, if something happens to me, I want it to be called out immediately. Like I don't want a call in. I right. want to see the accountability happen right there. Sure. Um, and that's where I think of like calling out. Do you want the accountability to be immediate? And do you want the victim, like you said, to know that other people have your back. Um, but over time I've learned that, not everyone wants to have like if it's their situation they don't want the person to be called out because it brings more attention on them you know um and and it, it's just really it's a very nuanced conversation and topic sure. in general and sure. that's why our jedi team like our jedi team sat down for like hours like trying to figure out what does this mean like what's calling in mean when should you do it when should you not yeah. um but i can say that i think that if you are someone in this in this let's say it's a group of friends and um someone is being someone is doing something that is just offensive not cool not awesome you know if you are someone that maybe that wouldn't offend you but you can understand how that would offend the other person that's in the room 
I don't, I think we should try to learn to be less hesitant about saying something and, and less hesitant about asking for accountability for these things, um, especially if it's a group of people that you are close with, you're friends with, you know, I've, I want us to, as a society, if I could get all of society to start like talking about yeah. calling in and calling out, like feel more comfortable setting boundaries. And I think it really comes to boundaries. Like it's just, <laughs> that's not cool with me. That's not cool with this person. Right knock it off you know um yeah. and i, I, mean, I wish like, that it's we like didn't... if somebody's oh. bowling you if somebody's bowling you would you just let it yeah. slide you know like it's like exactly if you're an adult like take take control of the situation like mm-hmm. stop the behavior don't let it continue you know like, yeah and, and yeah. even if it's not you who's being bullied like if you're a good human being you should try to support others and make sure it doesn't perpetuate itself yeah, yeah and i think that definitely comes down to just being a good person like yeah. if you think that like and because i feel like so many people ask like well what what calls for being called out you know and right, it's like and right, someone right. doesn't have to be saying like like a terrible word to, to a BIPOC person for you to call it out like it can be other things it can be microaggressions it can be anything you know yeah. if you just get a weird feeling you can take that initiative to be like that yeah. <laughs> that wasn't cool but that's does that's my you, take does on it doesn't make you uncomfortable you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's my take on it right like then you know okay cool so that let's keep going because there's a few more things so that of that training, yeah I think it's, um, oh yeah I, we keep going down these rabbit holes and I'm like completely <laughs> no, it's, forgetting. It's all, about, it's all about the rabbit yeah holes. <laughs> yeah okay so we did calling in calling out we did uh what did I say um we oh we talked actor. about yeah so we we did actor ally and accomplice and that's another thing that's really um it's also very nuanced you you yeah. have to be very careful in the way that you're you're talking about um like, or in the way that you're, you're having this conversation. Um, I'm a big believer in if we're talking about actor ally accomplice, um, we should be focusing it on the perspective of what does, like in this case for racial justice, what do the BIPOC community want from this situation? Like what, what do they, like what are they asking for? So what are they asking for in an accomplice? What are they asking for in an ally? And I feel like a lot of times the conversation can be centered around what am I doing? Um, if you're not that community that's that needs support, it's more focused around, um, well, I think I'm doing enough or I think I'm doing this. Um, and that's how we can get into this conversation of like, well, no, because an, an actor does this or no, because an ally does this. And I think that just, it causes a lot of confusion. Um, so it's easier if we just go back to the basics of what are we trying to get at the end goal? And most of the times that's liberation of, of like uh, an entire community, you know? So I think if we, if we, and this is something that the Jedi team also, I'm saying this so kind of like, I, you can't see my hands, but I, I'm saying this in such a, like a, a not complete answer because we're still figuring this out. Like our right, Jedi definitely. team is still talking about this and still figuring out like, what does it mean to be an ally? Um, is it okay to be an ally sometimes and be an accomplice at other times, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this training alone had a lot of questions come from it, but it's good questions and it's, it encouraged us to continue thinking and understand that our work isn't done just because right. we did a training. You know, it's, it's not done. We have to continue doing this. Or even um, if sorry. we understand it, everybody else still <laughs> has to understand it. And it's like being a good teacher is being able to explain the concept, you know, back. And- yeah. And it's, yeah. it's challenging. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I can't yeah. do it properly, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're still figuring that out. Um, but it's really cool because if we had just 
done all of these trainings and then we were like, oh, we did it perfect. You know, everything, everyone understands everything perfectly. Right, you know, right. what's next? Like, forward, we don't yeah. have anywhere. Yeah, we don't, but we don't have anywhere to grow as activists and as, as leaders um, in the organization. So I'm glad that like we've had these two trainings and we understand that there's more um, that we can dig into. So yeah. sorry, I did another one, but we talked, so we talked about ally accomplice. We talked about um, calling and calling out. And then lastly, we talked about the intersections of climate and racial justice um, and how climate justice is, is that climate justice is, is a more um, intersectional approach to environmental activism and, and it accounts for economic justice, it accounts for racial justice, um, it accounts for social justice and um, it makes sure that everyone is, is going to see liberation as, or everyone is going to have a safe environment rather than just focusing on um, the top group and not going like in taking more of a bottom up approach rather than a top down. Um, yeah. So that we make sure everyone is accounted for. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. Holistic just, accounting for the interconnectedness yeah. of people and societies mm -hmm. and, and not just, you know, can't just escape, you know, to a bunker or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. Know, it's like, everybody's got to be, uh, you know, working together here. And, and how do we get that? How do we move that forward? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, that's a good summary of kind of the trainings. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we've kind of you know, we have split the Jedi group into four, you know, subcommittees, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of split up the work and to kind of focus. Yeah. Do you want to give a brief overview of those? I know you. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we mentioned that earlier, we started with seven members, but now we've got like 14. Um, and with uh, so many people, that means there's so many ideas that are coming. So we decided that it would be best if we um, break up into four main groups. So we have our team coordination group. So they focus on like, what are our big goals? What are the whole year, what are we trying to get done as a team? Um, then we have our coalition committee um, that focuses on like outreach to other racial justice groups in San Diego or other racial justice initiatives um, so that we can make sure that we're continuing this work and working with our community. Um, we have our education and training committee, which Sebastian and I are on, um, and they were the ones that were in charge of the trainings, um, and we're going to continue doing work. I think we're coming up with the Climate Justice 201, um, just kind of climate, so that will be available to all members, which I'm really excited about, yeah. and then, um, oh, and that group is also going to be doing, like, a book club, um, movie nights for members, if for anyone that's interested in learning like Jedi topics, but maybe doesn't have the capacity to go to like every single Jedi team meeting. Um, so we're going to have more events like that. And then our last group is our norms and policy group. So that group has been working on um, a lot of the internal things of San Diego 350, making sure that um, Jedi values are being implemented in the work um, through all groups. So they've been working on a racial equity filter um, and lens that can be used by team leads for whenever they're doing their work. Um, just asking like, hey, are you taking all of these things into account when you're you're creating these projects, when you're creating these initiatives? Um, like, a also looking, like a checklist, yeah. you know, yeah, it's are, like a checklist. Yeah, yeah. Are you taking this into account, you know, before you go ahead with your project or, or what, what, mm -hmm. what is the impact here? Because that we want to imbue this kind of philosophy throughout all the organization. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And then they're also just looking at like endorsement policies and um, just everything internal, just making sure that every Jedi is reflected in all the work that the organization's doing. So that's our four teams right now. Cool. Yes, excited. <laughs> um, it's, it's been fun so far. So yeah. uh, let's jump into the, the terms Jedi because I feel like they don't get enough like 
they're they're fabulous words they're just not talked about enough i think because it has to be distilled down to something so i want to start with the j the j, with justice and you know what does it mean to you and what does it really look like in today's society yeah so um when i think of justice i feel like justice is the um end goal for all this work that we're doing all this amazing work that we're doing um and i I, when I think of it, especially in my own perspective, I'm, I'm a descendant of American chattel slavery, um, female, uh, like when I think of it for my, my lived experience, I see like reparations, like economic justice, you know, um, for black communities in America. Liberation. Or I, yeah, liberation, exactly that. Or like, let's think about our indigenous folks, um, them having land justice, um, mm -hmm. just, things, just things of that nature, like those big goals that we're all fighting for. I see mm -hmm. that, that is the J in Jedi for me. For sure. Okay. And then E, equity, you know, it's critical. Uh, equal opportunity, I think to me is, is one of the, the biggest things out of mm -hmm. this, right? We want, you know, that's the original idea of America is that everybody has equal opportunity to the pursuit of, you know, happiness and, and life and a good life, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah again, what, 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 what does that mean to you? Yeah. So I think equity, just like you said, everyone has equal opportunity. But when I think of equity, I think of um, everyone has a fresh start. You know, we have a fresh start and there's no like extra weight on certain people's backs so that they can't run fast. You know what I mean? And I, we all have a fresh start. We all start from the same place. And I think that we're working hard at it. I think, I think since yeah. a lot of people like the Jedi team are working hard at, at trying to, to even the playing field and make sure and make up for all of those years lost for so many communities and groups that are fighting for these things. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's equity for me. I, I, I like the word um, because it also is similar to Jedi for me, where not Jedi, justice for me, where it's like it's an end goal. Um, yeah. It's and not in the sense that it's unobtainable. It's just it's not happening right now, um, and that's okay. Like we, it's okay to acknowledge that we don't have complete and utter equity. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and as long as we have that as our main goal, like we can get there. So mm -hmm. that that's what I think about equity for sure. And that this is this is more challenging, but how how could we implement that in a nonprofit context? I mean, yeah. Well, I think I definitely think um, like for for San Diego through fifty, I think we did a good job with that by hiring me. Um, wink, wink. Um, and I and I think I say that because I think it's important to what as we start having these conversations of Jedi and like um, intersectionality, not reinventing. Um, the, the, the wheel, like in not having people who don't already have this experience and knowledge, right. um, you know what I mean? Not profiting off of it. Pay, pe pay people who are living these experiences, right. pay these people to come in and tell you what the answers are. Cause they know it, you know, right. like the people that are living through it, know the answers on how to fix it. Um, yeah. So I think starting with economic justice and hiring people is like first definitely. step for sure. Um, so I, I definitely encourage nonprofit groups to start doing that more. And I feel like we're getting, a lot of groups are getting there, uh, but mm -hmm. I, there can always be more. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah, no, of course. Yeah. I, I think that's, that totally is, you know, use the donations for, for the people that need the most. I mean, that's, that's equity, right? Yeah, there, right? yeah that, that's yeah. equity. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. So I, I believe, you know, the last two, the D and I, diversity and inclusivity need to be paired together, right? Because mm -hmm. without inclusivity, you will end up with clicks of different groups of people, you know, one of the benefits, um, and then one of the benefits of a nonprofit work is that there's no cost to join and anyone can really input what mm. they would like to say. 
so and then obviously you know diversity of opinions is you know it's enormous it's it's so important mm -hmm. right like we've so for so often you know they've sidelined voices that are actually you know the brightest people in the in the room you know um mm -hmm. and and that's you know that's what i like to say about that but you know what is yeah. what's your take on diversity and inclusivity in that context um so i i think uh, diversity and, and inclusion is such an interesting concept to me in general because I, I feel like and not not to be a negative fan please but i i feel like nowadays the diversity is used as a cover to not um to not get to all of the root problems uh, and not that i think diversity is bad at all i think it's wonderful i think diversity yeah. and inclusion is needed it's very necessary yeah. but i think what we're missing is that it's okay um like you said it's good to have diversity and to recognize um everyone as individuals but if we don't have inclusion then we're just going to be a bunch of different groups but i do feel like there's not enough in some in some ways of recognizing different lived experiences um and and in and in recognizing that i feel like if we can become if we can be okay with doing both at the same time recognizing different experiences because then we can learn from one another to then be okay with those different experiences and then we can create we can create inclusion um i think that would be a more um holistic way of understanding the big picture i feel like right now um it's a lot of um efforts of inclusion without understanding each other um and not everywhere not not all the time but i i don't want or this is just my own thoughts i think it's okay to um, like understand, I, I don't know how to explain this in, in a way, but like in understanding the differences, you can become more inclusive over time because you understand and accept them rather than just like understand and then we come together. You can understand me all you want, but if you, if we don't work together to make sure it, it benefits both of us, then what's the point of, of understanding everyone's differences if you're not planning to accept it? Um, right. if, if that made sense, like it's, I'm not saying any of it's bad. I'm just saying we just need to do it more intentionally together. And, and together, yeah. Like again, like yeah. both both of these, like one without the other is somewhat less effective. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they need to again, like they need to be taken to account at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 with the right right reasons, right intentions. So. Yeah, and even to your question of because I'm thinking of this specifically as like lived experience. You sure. know, um, sure. because we can say nonprofit has no cost, but that's not true. Time. It costs time, you know, sure. and yeah, if we if we don't. And that's something that I would love for us to figure out a way to like, how do we bring in those parents who are single parents, don't have time, you know, have kids, they're working. But, you know, how do we bring in those people who necessarily don't have the time or how do we bring in people who who have the lived experience but don't know how to articulate it? You know, yeah. and, and that's why I think it's important to be to understand diversity and to understand everyone's experience so that in order to be truly inclusive, um, we account for all of those experiences. And it's really hard. It's oh, hard yeah, to yeah. like to have an umbrella that catches everyone. It is so hard. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I like thinking about I was, like, how, how are you going to get a parent who doesn't have yeah. the time to, to yeah. even hop on, you know, like a Zoom call? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking like I was thinking kind of a joke, like you need really good project management, you know, yeah. <laughs> like somehow like, yeah. like you just send them an email, like do this, 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 you know, yep. you can do that this and week, anytime time. you have time or something, you know, like I, it's, it's, it starts to like stretch your imagination of like, how mm -hmm. do you like get people 
who want to be there, but like don't want to put in almost any effort, you know, mm-hmm. but they yeah. want to also help, you know, or, or something yeah. like that. Like it's, it's, uh, it's but, it starts to get challenging. Yeah. But it forces us to be creative, you yeah. know, and yeah. if, and if, and, but the more experiences we account for, the bigger our movement is, you know what I mean? And that's, I think that's where I'm like, we really have to understand every, like the differences, the nuances, and it's okay to be different, even if it's by like a degree, you know, like it is okay um, to acknowledge that because if you don't know your own place in this, in this fight, in this movement, then like you can't do your part, you know? So that's, that's my take. Lovely, lovely stuff. (laughs) All right. Um, so my next, my next point is, you know, I want to encourage, you know, obviously if I can use this, uh, more people to read. Um, I know it's kind of fading out of fashion, you know, like reading good old book. And, um, and so I just want to hear your take, if you have any recommendations of books or maybe three or so that you recommend anybody in the audience wants to check out. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Definitely. So the first one, I, I have it with me. I brought them. Um, so the first one that I'm going to share is Stamped from the Beginning. So this is okay. Ibram X. Kendi as well. Okay. Um, this one, I think, is definitely a national nationality kind of thing. Uh, American citizens, if you want to understand the systems of our country, you want to understand how they all benefit from anti-Blackness, I'd say read this book. Because everything, especially Americans with American chattel slavery, it all goes back to there, you know? Um, so I think it's important to understand our history so we can move forward. Um, so that's why I suggest that one. Um, another one I have not finished, I, I read like one chapter, but it's good so far, um, is What a Terrible Thing to Waste. It's on environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. Um, that one is by Harriet A. Washington. Um, so it also talks about um, environmental racism and its its connection to anti-blackness and, and just uh, climate work in general. And I, I think right now I'm really into understanding um, white supremacy, anti-blackness, and its adjacentness to climate work and climate injustice in general. So I would say those two, because it gives a really good um, like intersectional lens, uh, like racism, climate, all together. So I definitely yeah. like those two. Okay, great. Yeah, those, are, those sound great. Um... So uh, I want to end it on just kind of a little random note. Um, and I want to ask you, I've, I've asked my other uh, guests on the show, you know, what, what are you grateful for uh, in your life? Like, what do you? Yeah, so I am very grateful for my, my dogs. I'm very, very grateful for my dogs. I have a Shih Tzu poodle and then, um, a, no, I, I said, how did I say I'm grateful for him? And I forgot his, his, make um he's a poodle in a japanese and then i have a maltese and a yorkie and they are just the cutest little things and they always make my day um so i'm grateful for them grateful for my family and i am grateful for um oh yeah i forgot <laughs> sunshine the guinea pig oh my goodness yeah she's so funny um luckily she's not screaming yeah, yeah. luckily she's not screaming right now um no but i'm grateful for them and i'm grateful for like my work with sd350 yeah. It is. It has just been so, such a positive experience. Um, great people like Sebastian. Like it's been wonderful meeting you and meeting everyone on the team and just having such like a a fun group to do this really hard work with. Like it's just it's great that we can all be so kind and um, just encouraging to one another. So that's yeah. what I'm grateful for. Cool. Awesome. 
Um, and then my last one, which is a little tricky. What would you like to see our world look like in 10 years? 2030, big year. Um, well, to be very realistic, I think I'm going to go back to my answer for justice. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to go right back. I, I want to see reparations for, for descendants of American chattel slavery because I think that that would be the first step to, to the, the United States kind of reconciling, you know, and yeah. that way we can start building from there. And I'm, I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but if you think about the systems, the ones the people on the bottom are helped, it, it always filters up and everyone else gets right. help from there. Right. It's um, not so down, I, it's trickle up. <laughs> yep, it's, yeah, it's trickle up. So I, I think it's important that we start with that. Um, sure. And I would love to see, like, <laughs> I don't know how this even works, but I would love to see indigenous peoples have their lands back um, and it be under their, their rule. I know this is like huge dream, but sure. it's under their rule. Like it doesn't have to change society, but it's theirs because it's not ours. So I would love, I would love for them to have that. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's huge. I, I do, I do know, and I, I would love to see, you know, the, the U.S. government, you know, form a, form a kind of a council um, to kind mm -hmm. of discuss this and, and push this forward because it's, really going to take a lot I you know it's going to be a huge discussion it's one of the biggest yeah. probably of you know yeah last 100 years um and but yeah I mean again I, I there's this you know the 40 acres and a, and a mule right you know that was what mm -hmm. a lot of love were promised and mm -hmm. and they didn't get it and yeah that there's there needs to be again we're talking about wealth we're talking about land we're talking about those mm -hmm. things that that's been taken and, and there is some there's some need. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a huge, obviously, to to kind of figure out how we how we get get move forward, you know, from there. Um, mm -hmm. Because yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it's not just that. It, it's our whole. I think I feel like our whole financial and economic system. Yeah. Is so it's so heavily skewed to if you're rich, you just keep getting richer at a dizzying pace, and yeah. you can't do anything. The biggest thing to me is you can't <laughs> do anything with that. I mean, right? Like how. How many? Who? How many? Who needs eight houses? Who needs three <laughs> private planes? Like, you just need one, like one house, yeah. one vacation house. You know, nobody needs yeah. a private plane. We need to get rid of those anyways. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? and I and, think it's yeah. Sorry. No, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it, it's just the the wealth is so outrageous and it's so pointless. You know, whereas yeah. like, like it, it, it's, it's just the system is screaming to be changed. You know, for the people that see it that way, it's. It's kind of being yeah. held hostage, I'll probably be honest, by our, by our, yeah. system, by our government, really. I mean, because they're the ones yeah. that have the, have the biggest ability to change things. You know, it's laws, it's policies mm -hmm. that would really make the, make the difference here. Yeah. And I think that goes honestly back to like the fundamentals of the work that we're doing just in general with like environmentalism, climate, because like you can't take, take, take and take and expect there to always be something at the end. Like it's not, it's not going to happen, you know? So that's why we've got to fight to stop this overconsumption of what, in this case, money, wealth, but also with our earth, with our resources, you know? Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah, it start, starts with the money and, and ends up in the land. You know, I mean, that, that's what mm -hmm. money is. It's, it's taking from the land, you know? It's, um, you know, we don't have a system where you give back to the land and earn money. You know, if you, if you store carbon, you don't really get paid to store carbon. You don't get paid yeah. to, to restore the land, to rewild. You don't, you have to do that mm -hmm. on your own accord and, and um that yeah again i think that's that's the sea change that needs to happen um mm -hmm. and i hope to see that in 10 years so that's that's my yeah sense on that. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for your time and all your all your thoughts and all your hard work. Um, really appreciate yeah. it. And um, just gonna do a little sign off here. Appreciate everyone in the audience who tuned in today or whenever you're tuning in. Uh, please check out San Diego350.org for more information on the organization and what we're up to. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So just search SC350. Yay. <laughs> All Yay, right. awesome. Thank you.